So just by a show of hands, I know this, I'm, doing, I'm having you guys do a lot of calisthenics today. By a show of hands, how many know that God is faithful? Amen? Oh, come on. Hasn't God worked in our, in our lives this week? Amen? There you go. God is faithful. Amen? <laughs> and God is always taking care of his church. He's always taking care of us. Amen? Just look around. That's a testimony of how good God is. Now, good in, in God's terms, not good according to us, because good is all, oh, yay, this is fun. Sometimes it's not fun, but sometimes it's awesome. Amen? And today it is my honor and privilege to bring up to our pulpit, or to God's pulpit, a man of God uh, with his word in his heart and always preaching the good news. And I was reaching out to everybody. With you, Pastor Roy Halberg. All right, so is this microphone working? All right, well, David gave me a 20-minute lesson, and I wasn't sure I passed, so it's all good. So you all doing good this morning? Am I going to freak you out if I stand down here instead of behind that box up there? Okay, good. I... I I kind of got away from that box thing, although I like the glass, that's nice, but my legs aren't all that exciting unless I've got my cycling shorts on, then it's a whole new ball game. But uh, well, I haven't been here with you all for several years. I think the last time I was here was a couple of Sunday evenings, six, seven, eight years ago maybe, so it's a privilege to, to come back and be here with you. And uh, You've had the privilege of having my good friend Ed Trenner with you on Sunday mornings for quite a while. And uh, you heard all 13 messages that he knows, and um, now he's, he's moved on. And uh, I saw the list of, of men you have coming to speak in the next several weeks. You're in, you're in store for some really, really good stuff. I see my good friend Don Shoemaker is going to be here next week or the week after. Anyway, um, there's some good stuff ahead here, right? There's some good stuff ahead, ahead here, right? Okay, good. I just, I just wanted to double check. You know, one of my lifelong ambitions, one of my dreams since I was a young boy, was to ride my bicycle across the United States. Wanted to do this all my life. And about nine years ago, I started talking with Jim Hawking at Water for Good about riding my bike across country and raising money to drill wells in Africa. And I was really excited about this. I talked to my friend Lonnie, who pastored one of our churches in Pennsylvania, and we had this big grand scheme. We'd ride across country, and we'd arrive in Palm Springs at National Conference with a big one of those big fake checks, you know, with big numbers on it for Jim. And so I went back home to... Rancho Cucamonga to the church I was pastoring there, and I shared with the elders my great dream, my great plans, my great ambitions. And they said, so how long will it take you to do that? Everybody wants to know how long it's going to take. What difference does it make? But anyway, they wanted to know how long is it going to take. And so knowing them, I kind of cheated and didn't tell them the honest truth. You know, I said, maybe nine, ten weeks. Well, you can't be gone that long. So I had to retire. So the end of the year, last year, December 31st was my last Sunday. And uh, five weeks from today or tomorrow, my bike's going to start in the Atlantic Ocean in, in uh, Yorktown, Virginia, and start heading toward, uh, what's the name of that city? Florence, Oregon. And do you know what most people say when I tell them I'm going to ride my bike across country? 
That's exactly what they say. Exactly. You're crazy. The next question they ask after, how long is it going to take? The next question they always ask is, how many people are going with you? And I told, there's only going to be four of us. Me, myself, and I, and of course, Jesus, yeah. And uh, so I'm getting a little grief about riding across country by myself. Uh, my wife has two friends that we've known for years, and they're telling her, you know, Jesus sent them out two by two. It can't be God's will for Roy to do this, right? Anyway, it's been a fun experience. But it reminds me of years ago, we were pastoring the church in Sacramento. And I believe that God was leading me to leave Sacramento and go to pastor, uh, be an associate at our church in Modesto. Our vision was to start a Bible school to train people for ministry. And so I made that decision, announced that I was leaving, and arrived in Modesto. And our house still hadn't sold after three months. And so I was commuting 75 miles each way because our house hadn't sold. And it still hadn't sold. And so over the span of about three months, we finally left Sacramento. And I think we lived in like 12 different places in about three months. And uh, for the longest period of time, I forget how long, my wife can probably tell you, we lived in an unair conditioned mobile home on a farm in Modesto during the summer. And people would say to me, um, you know, you're having all these problems. You have all these obstacles. You have all these difficulties. It can't be God's will for you to go to Modesto. Right? You know, one of the things I've discovered, I'm still discovering, that I think I can say without fear of uh, being wrong, and I'm going to show you why I believe that this morning in the Scriptures. But one of the things I've come to conclude is obstacles always precede opportunities. Always. Um, My friend Roger has a little saying, life is a test. Interestingly, I was reading, I had a few minutes this morning to read the sports page. Any Dodger fans here? The rest are Angel fans? How many don't care? So last night, I'm getting my notes together for this morning, and I've got my phone next to me. I'm not listening to the game, but every time something happens, my phone beeps at me. You know, here's the latest update on the Dodger game. It's tied 4-4 to in the ninth. It's tied 4-4 to in the 10th, the 11th, the 12th. goes into the 14th inning, and uh, one of their rookie pitchers gives up a three-run home run in the 14th inning. Walk-off home run, game over. The Dodgers have the worst start in over 20 years. And their closer, who's supposed to be like lights out, right? Kenley Jansen. He's not doing so hot. And so in the paper this morning, in the article about their game last night, um, Jansen says, maybe this is a test. Interesting. You know, one of the things I observe in Scripture is that obstacles always precede opportunities. Always. 
So I want you to come with me this morning to Acts chapter 13, and I want you to see this in the life of the Apostle Paul. And if you think about it, really, as you look over the scope of Scripture, is there any great hero of the Bible that didn't encounter difficulties? What about Abraham? Did he face any challenges, any difficulties in his life? God's great promise to Abraham was what? I'm going to multiply your seed more than the sand of the sea, more than the stars in the sky. Awesome promise. But what was the problem? Didn't have a son. Was that a problem? Not for God. There you go. That's a good answer. That's not a problem for God. What about, uh, how about Joseph? Joseph have any challenges in his life? You know, brothers throw him in the pit. They sell him into slavery. He goes into Egypt. He gets in crossways with his boss. He gets thrown in jail. I mean, the whole story of Joseph. Problems, obstacles. But God had a plan all the time, right? And so as you come to Acts chapter 13, what I want you to notice here, this is the Apostle Paul's first of three missionary journeys. Maybe first at four, but at least first of three missionary journeys. And he's not even Paul yet. He's still Saul. Paul, or Saul, is really relatively new, right? Who's the long timer in this chapter? Who's the guy that's been around forever since the opening chapters of the book? A guy named Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And so they're at the church in Antioch. And they're serving there. They're teaching there. And they're having this prayer meeting in Acts chapter 13. And all these guys are gathered there. The first few verses tell us there's Barnabas, there's Simeon, uh, there's Manaean, there's Saul. And in verse 2 it says they're ministering, they're fasting. And the Holy Spirit says, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So is there any precedent for that 5 o'clock prayer meeting tonight? You don't have to skip lunch and fast, but praying's a good thing, right? So they're praying and fasting, and, and somehow the Holy Spirit of God communicates to them, these guys are going out preaching. These guys are going out. Now, is it or is it not the will of God for Saul and Barnabas to go on this preaching mission? Will of God, yes or no? Yes. So, most of us would assume, if we're in the will of God, we're going the direction God wants us to go, there's going to be clear sailing, no problems, right? No. Wrong-o. So, there's four obstacles that Paul and Barnabas encounter as they go on this first missionary journey. And so, verse 4 says, they're sent out by the Holy Spirit, they go down to Seleucia, they jump on a ship, they buzz over to Cyprus. Which is kind of an interesting place to start on the first missionary journey. Why did they go to Cyprus? Well, my guess is Barnabas was from Cyprus. Isn't that interesting? Right back to where he was from, his source of origin. But they go to, they go to the island of Cyprus. And it says here, when they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. I'm in verse 5. I go really fast. So if I lose you, just kind of wave at me and I'll tell you what verse I'm in. Because um, we're going to do this whole chapter and I'm not going to read every single verse and you're going to have to really kind of keep track, right? Anybody have a Bible with them this morning? All right. I like Bibles. They're good. Um, the B-I-B-L-E, right? 
So they've gone through the whole island, and they come as far as Paphos, and they find a magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name is Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus. What's the name Jesus mean? Salvation. Son of salvation. Which is kind of an interesting name for a guy whose reputation is a false prophet and a magician. Now, when you and I hear the word magician, we probably think of these guys that, uh, you know, they make an airplane disappear. You know, they go to Vegas, have a big show, or anyone ever go up to the Magic Castle and see these magic acts? These guys are phenomenal. I love magic. Uh, this magician is dealing with evil spirits. <laughs> this magician is an agent of the evil one. This isn't a sleight of hand magic. And so there's this false prophet, this guy named, uh, he's the son of Bar-Jesus, and he's with the proconsul, the governor of the island of Cyprus, or at least this region under the authority of Rome, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. Isn't that awesome? Here's a guy, he's the governor. He's been placed in authority. He has his position of power, influence, and authority. And he wants to do what? Wants to hear the Word of God. Now, he's probably curious. He's probably one of those guys that is intelligent and open to new ideas and new philosophies. So I don't want to over-spiritualize, but he's open, right? He's open to hearing what Paul and Barnabas are saying. That's cool. But do you notice the first word of verse 8? But, Limus the magician, for so his name's translated, was opposing them. What was his goal? What's the next phrase say? Seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So, here's Barnabas and Paul. They launch out in this effort. They meet a guy who's open to the gospel, open to hearing about the Lord. And what do they encounter? Opposition. Yeah. And it's not only a human opponent, but there's spiritual warfare here. There's a, there's a spiritual dynamic to this. There's opposition. There's opposition to what they're trying to accomplish. And notice how Paul responds to this opposition. Does Paul quit? Does Paul go home? Does Paul turn back? Oh, no, no, no. He says, but Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze on him. And he said, you who are full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you and you will be what? Blind. Which is interesting since that's how, that's how Saul came to the Lord. Struck down and blinded, right? I find that kind of... Kind of curious. And immediately a mist and darkness fell upon him. He went about seeking those who would lead him by the hand. Then what happened in verse 12? The proconsul believed. There's that key word, right? Believed. That was the goal all along, right? And so here's Paul going on this mission and encounters immediately spiritual opposition. You know, my wife and I have wondered about this a little bit in my plans to ride my bicycle across country. Because as my plans have developed, um, she's experienced some health issues that are new and different and not too exciting. 
And we've wondered, maybe this is a form of spiritual opposition. Might be. I don't know. But there's, there's obstacles. There's opponents. There's problems. And what does Paul do? Press it on. Pressing on. And so right out of that experience in verse 13, now he faces his second crisis, his second form of opposition. Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos. They come to Perga and Pamphylia. You all know where that is, right? Asia Minor, what today is Turkey. But John left them and returned to Jerusalem. So John Mark, who is Barnabas's nephew, John Mark has been traveling with Paul and Barnabas from Antioch to Cyprus. He's been a part of their ministry team. And now what's he do? He leaves. What do you call that? If he was in the army, what would you call it? Desertion. You ever been deserted? You ever had somebody you were counting on, dependent on, that just pulled the plug and said, I'm gone, I'm out of here, I'm not keeping on? I've had that happen many times. I remember a young man in our church in Sacramento that I had been discipling for quite a while. Meeting together, praying together, studying God's Word together. And I can still in my mind's eye, even though it's been, what, early 80s, how many decades ago was that? Four? I still remember sitting across the table at A&W Root Beer on the bank of the American River in Sacramento having lunch with Rich. And him telling me, my brothers who don't know the Lord are prosperous, they're making money, they're making far more money than I am, they're far better off, they're doing far better than me. I've decided to go back and be a pagan again. What? Gone. I remember a couple in our church in uh, Altaloma that were significantly involved in the ministry. And, uh, you know, I remember prayer walking with the husband. My wife and I and uh, Kenny and one of our elders, Carlos, we walked up and down those hills prayer walking in the streets of Altaloma for months. And then came the day when Kenny and his wife said to me, we're leaving. You know, this church is dead or dying or both. We don't, you know, whatever it is, we're gone. We're done. Anyone else ever experienced desertion? What's that do here? It hurts. Kills you. Well, John Mark deserts. Why did he leave? Homesick? Jealous over Paul's being in charge instead of his uncle Barnabas? I don't know why he left, but he did. Deserted. So what did Paul do? Verse 14 begins with that word again. But... Going on from Perga, they arrived at Pisidian Antioch. They're in that area of Asia Minor, Turkey. On the Sabbath, they went into the synagogue. After reading the law and the prophets, the synagogue officials said to them, Brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. What is that? That's what? Wide open door to get up and proclaim the gospel. And what you have in your Bible that follows that, when Paul begins and says there in verse 16, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. What's recorded for us here is the longest sermon by the Apostle Paul that's captured for us in the New Testament. 
open door of opportunity. What would have happened if Paul and Barnabas had responded to John Mark's desertion by saying, well, enough of this, we're going home. What would have happened? That sermon would have never got preached, right? Never would have got preached. In spite of opposition, in spite of desertion, Paul and Barnabas go on. And and here's this great sermon that I'm not going to read for you. Paul already preached it, and if you're intrigued. But it's basically a history lesson. He starts all the way back in God's call of Abraham, the time spent in Egypt. They crossed into the promised land. God gave them Saul, the king, in verse 21. He followed that by giving them David in verse 22. And then finally he brought Israel a Savior, Jesus, at the end of verse 23. And he's proclaiming to them the good news of the gospel. Not only good news, someone said a few minutes ago it was what? Great news. I like that. And so Paul preaches this awesome, awesome sermon. And he comes all the way down in verse 40 as he comes to the end. He says, therefore take heed so that the things spoken of in the prophets may not come upon you. And he says in verse 42, and it says in verse 42, as Paul and Barnabas were going out, The people did what? Kept begging them that these things would be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Wow. Wow. And when the meeting in the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, speaking to them, were urging them to continue in the grace of God. Opposition followed by opportunity. And what happens when you quit in the face of opposition? You never get the opportunity, right? Well, sadly, things don't get any better the next Sabbath. Now we've got a whole new problem. The whole city assembles to hear the word of the Lord, but... Don't you love the word but? You know, it just kind of tells you what's really going on here. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They're jealous. They're angry. They begin contradicting what Paul and Barnabas are speaking. End of verse 45 says they're blaspheming. How did Paul and Barnabas respond to the opposition? They quit. They give up. Dr. Luke records for us, they spoke out quietly and timidly, fearing the people, right? Is that what it says? No, it says they spoke out boldly. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you repudiate it. And judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. In the face of opposition, God gives them a whole new direction. Going to the Gentiles. You don't like the message? You don't want to listen? No problem. Verse 48 says, when the Gentiles heard this, They began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And many as had been appointed to eternal life did what? Believed. Opposition is always followed by opportunity. Always. (laughs) Verse 49 says the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region. Verse 50, there's that word again. But... So here's the word of God is spreading in this Asia Minor, what we know today as Turkey. But the Jews are incited and they're inciting devout women of prominence, leading men of the city. And they instigate, according to verse 50, they instigate what? Persecution 
against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. So it's bad enough that their one form of opposition was verbal and vocal. One form of opposition was accusatory language, demeaning language. Now it's physical. Now it's physical. They're driving them out of the city. So what's Paul do? They shake the dust of the feet in protest, and they go where? Iconium, nearby city. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. What happens in Iconium, by the way? They entered the synagogue of the Jews together, spoke in such a manner that a large number of people did what? Believed. Opposition always precedes opportunity. It was true for Abraham. It was true for Joseph. It was true for David. You just go down the list. Always. But it's different today, right? Not my experience. Some of my... I think I would say some of my greatest opportunities has come, have come on the heels of opposition. Someone has well said, I think, that um, sometimes the measure of a man or the measure of a woman is what it takes to stop him or her. And I, I admire the heroes of the scriptures because they don't stop, they don't quit, they give up. And as a result of that, what happens? People believe because they persisted, they kept on. Anybody here have personal goals, dreams, ambitions in your life for the year ahead? Spiritual goals, personal goals. You're going to face opposition. It's going to come. Isn't that exciting? James says in James chapter 1, um, count it all joy when you encounter trials, right? Count it all joy. I love the way the Phillips translation says it. He says, don't resent those problems as intruders, but welcome them as friends. I've become uh, kind of famous for one of my uh, sayings in cycling circles with my friends. And my saying is this. Hills are your friends. Now, it used to be in my cycling life, if I knew there was a hill ahead of me over there, and I knew there was a way around the hill, guess which way I would choose to go? Around the hill. Why? It's easier. I don't like pain and suffering. I go the easy way. Well, I've discovered what makes me physically stronger on my bicycle is climbing the hills. And so when I get on my bicycle and ride up to Mount Baldy, and I do that multiple times over the months, now I get involved in a 100-mile bike ride with hills up in the Solvang area. I'm flying up hills. These things are no problem. Why? Hills are my friend. 
And what happens as we look toward the future with our goals and dreams and ambitions, if we try to avoid the tests and the challenges and the difficulties, guess what we miss? We miss the blessings that God has for us. And I think, you know, you as a church family have some future direction that you're headed. You have a search committee looking for a new pastor. That's going to be a piece of cake. You'll probably have someone here going full blast within 30 days, right? Not likely. Not likely. It's going to take a while. Are you going to get frustrated by that? Some people do. How come it's taken so long? What's wrong with that search committee? You know, God in His time is going to lead and direct. And as always, what you're going to discover is what? Obstacles precede opportunities. Your church has embraced a huge project in your outreach in Boyle Heights. And I suspect, having no knowledge of this, but just haven't been around churches for all my entire life, you know, there's probably been people opposed to that whole idea. Why are you guys going all the way over there to East Los Angeles? We've got people to reach right here in Norwalk. It's scary over there. Is that right? Is it scary over there? Huh? You guys know? Well, why are we spending money to do... You know, you get... Their opposition always precedes opportunity. And you've begun to reap the fruit and the benefits of what you've invested in Boyle Heights. And maybe, maybe those voices that used to be in opposition are kind of quiet now. And that's a good thing. I don't, I'm just guessing. I could be wrong. But whenever you launch out on something new and bold and daring for the Lord, guess what? It's going to be opposition. You're embracing an exciting opportunity with Urban Hope West. Is that a scary idea? Is it going to cost any money? Is CE National going to foot the whole bill 110%? You know, that's scary. I wonder if, I wonder if the neighbors around the church knew what you were planning to do, how excited they would be. And if they found out, I wonder how they would respond. I wonder how the city leaders are going to respond. Is there going to be opposition ahead? Some of you are really upset with me. You've kind of got this big frown on your face. Like, oh. Hills are your friends. God just seems to, you know, I don't, do I like this idea? I don't like it. I'd like every bike ride to kind of be like this. I've looked at the topographical map, the route I'm going to travel from Yorktown, Virginia to Florence, Oregon. The Appalachians in the east, and then the Ozarks in Missouri, and then the Rockies in Colorado, and then the Cascades in Oregon. Hills are my friends. There's going to be opposition. You could count on it. So here's some questions for you this morning. Um, have you discovered that the problems in life can either be viewed as speed bumps or as walls? The obstacles and challenges of life can either slow you down or can stop you. If you forget that speed bumps are normal, 
if you focus on the speed bumps instead of on the goal, what God has set before you, if you focus on the speed bumps and focus so much on them that they seem larger than they really are, and especially if you see the size of the speed bumps as being bigger than the size of your God, then you're in trouble, right? You are. So are you facing any obstacles today? Any challenges on the road ahead, personally, collectively as a church? The good news is there's good stuff ahead. There's opportunity ahead. And how you respond makes all the difference. All the difference. I could tell you stories um, My 50-year-old brother-in-law, when he passed away, was a shock to my sister, to our family. Um, Rich was probably one of the most popular, well-liked guys I've known in my entire life. Student body president at Brethren High School his senior year. Just a super, super guy. But as a result of that crisis in our family... I had the opportunity to preach his funeral to an audience full of longshoremen that Rich had worked with. Obstacle, opportunity. It's always that way. It's always that way. And in fact, there's a song, whenever I read these words, I think of one of the men in our church in Long Beach, Howard Cooper used to sing this song, and I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. There have been times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave blessed consolation that my trials only came to make me strong. Do you believe that this morning? I hope you do. I've been a lot of places. I've seen so many faces. But there have been times I felt so all alone. But in that lonely hour, in that precious lonely hour, Jesus let me know I am his own. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. Amen. So I thank God for the mountains. Amen. I thank God for the mountains and I thank him for the valleys. I thank him for the storms he's brought me through. Because if I never had a problem, I wouldn't know that he could solve them. I wouldn't know what faith in his word could do. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. And so as, as you look forward to the future, personally, in your own life, collectively as a church family. You can have confidence this morning that hills are your friends and that obstacles always precede opportunities. The difference is what? Your attitude toward the hill. Not seeking to go around it, but in God's strength, God's power to face it and work through That's what Paul did. Those four obstacles that he encountered, the result in all of those was the same thing. People came to faith. People came to trust Jesus as Savior. And that's what God wants to do here in this place, I think. Anyone else think that? 
That's what God wants to do here. And so, Lord, that's our, our prayer this morning, that you would continue to do good stuff here in this place. This place with a, a rich history of your presence, your work, your blessing, that as we look forward to the future, our expectation is there's going to be challenges, there's going to be obstacles. But as we trust you, rest in you, follow you, obey you, you're going to accomplish great things for your glory. And it's in that confidence that we agree together this morning. Hills are our friends. And we agree to welcome those difficult times. Not to resent them as intruders, but to welcome them as friends. And we agree to do that this morning in the mighty name of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.